Welcome to the LDS Mission Cast. This is your host, Nick Galetti. On this episode, Kelsey Edwards and I sit down with BYU scholar and professor Anthony Sweat, who wrote a book called The Holy Invitation, published by Deseret Book. This book and this interview are focused on those going to the temple for the first time, perhaps prior to their mission, or even those that have gone before but are looking to get more out of the experience. This is a great opportunity for missionaries preparing to leave and those on a mission or even those that are coming home from a mission and looking to get more from their temple experience. Anthony Sweat has some great insights to share on this subject. After the interview, we're going to take a week off of our Latter-day Live segment to give you some further commentary on the subject of the temple. This week, we're showcasing the music of Sarah Lynn Barrel. Her music can be found at sarahlynnbarrel.com, and that's S-A-R-A-L-Y-N-B-A-R-I-L.com. Her music is definitely fitting for a missionary-friendly music library, which means it's also great music to listen to on the Sabbath day or anytime you want to feel the peace and contentment of gospel music. So first off, Kelsey Edwards and I interview BYU professor and author of The Holy Invitation, Anthony Sweat. The Spirit whispers deep within me. Anthony Sweat is an assistant professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University. He received his bachelor's degree in painting and drawing and his PhD in curriculum and instruction. He is the author of several books and most recently, The Holy Invitation and Christ in Every Hour. Anthony is a regular speaker at LDS events and other conferences, and he and his wife, Cindy, are the parents of seven children. So welcome, Anthony. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And we've, of course, got Kelsey here with us. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Hi, Kelsey. Hi. (laughs) And we just discovered the fun fact that Kelsey was a previous student of yours. I know. Yes, I took Doctrine and Covenants from him. It was a great class. And I'm not just saying that. I really did. I I was going to say, the grades have already been submitted. (laughs) She was very excited to come when we were setting this up. She was very excited to come. He said that we were having it. I was like, oh, I have to be there. He was one of my favorite professors. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And she had Hank Smith, who's very popular too. So you were up there with some very popular teachers. Hey, well, as as long as you learn, that's what I care about. (laughs) I did. Good. So we're going to get to your book, The Holy Invitation, here in a minute. But I wanted to take a minute to give our listeners a chance to get to know you and some of your other work. And recently, you've been doing a lot of artwork in the restoration period, the early, you know, Joseph Smith time period. Again, primarily with the translation of the Book of Mormon, even. So what about these events in church history captured your interest? Well, I just, um, you know, with my background in art, my bachelor's degrees in art, like you just read in the bio, and um, being a professor of church history and doctrine, I am just interested in having depictions of church history that maybe represent important aspects of church history that haven't been shown before. The more I teach it, the more I say, we need an image that shows that. We need a visual. We need, because visuals they're not always didactic, meaning they're not always used to teach, but the way we use visuals in the church is often to teach. Um, and so I, I just think part of our, we just need some more images to help in our visual literacy. That's what makes me yeah. interested in it. So these are things like Joseph Smith using the hat for yeah. translation and seer yeah. stones and, yeah. and all this kind of stuff, which is some people claim that it's not a very common part of the narrative that yeah. we tell. And I just finished a painting of uh, Q. Walker Lewis, who was one of the first black men ordained to the priesthood during Joseph Smith's time. I saw that. And I think just images like that help add to the narrative where people can say, oh, so 
So we used to ordain black people to the priesthood during Joseph's time. So what changed? It just helps add to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you served a mission. I did. Where? I served in Bolivia in the La Paz mission. Oh, okay. So top of the Andes Mountains and part of the Amazon jungle. It was a wild ride. Very cool. So when when was that? When did you serve? Uh, 1995 and 96. So in the discussions era. In the discussions era. <laughs> we'll yes. that. Las Charles. All right. So let's now switch gears to your book because part of what we're talking about here is adding another tool to the missionary library, if you will, adding yeah. something that will help prepare missionaries. So this book is called The Holy Invitation. What was kind of the, where did it come from? Well, it grew out of, as I teach uh, Doctrine and Covenants and church history classes at BYU, I teach large section classes uh, of about, I teach around 3,000 students a year. So I have pretty big sample sizes of the general vibe of the young people of the church. First-year students, mostly. Uh, well, a lot of them are are uh, sophomores, juniors, seniors. I get a whole range, oh, okay. but I get plenty of them prior to their missions as well. I get them coming home from missions and prior to. Mm-hmm. And um, I just noticed that as we started to discuss things related to the endowment and the, the historical lenses, the purposes, the doctrinal lenses, people had a lot of questions. Number one, they wanted to talk about things they, many feel like they weren't uh, prepared well enough who have gone through the temple. Uh, many are getting ready to go through the temple and they want some help. And so this book grew out of uh, an extension of those two worlds of my own research and teaching and working with students to try to help them. So since we're talking about the temple, I know there's a, a wide range of feelings about what is and isn't appropriate yeah. to talk about. So this topic of sacred silence. Yeah. Um, Ooh, that's a good phrase. How do you? <laughs> that is a good phrase. How do you approach <laughs> this this sensitive topic? How do you determine what's yeah. okay to talk about and what's not? I think that's a great question because, you know, I, I've even said to people before. I've done this actually with groups of people. You know, explain the nature of the ordinance of baptism, what you do, and what its symbolism is. And, and most Latter-day Saints can do that really quick. Right. Explain the nature of the sacrament, uh, what we do, and what its symbolism is. And most people can answer that really quick. Explain even the nature of sealing a man and a woman together and what the symbolism is. And they can say that. And if I say, explain the nature of the endowment and what its symbolism is, you get crickets. <laughs> yeah. And either they don't know or don't understand, or they feel like they can't say anything about that. Mm-hmm. Now, number one, this is why people tend to have some negative experiences. Could you imagine uh, baptizing somebody and not telling them what was going to happen at the baptism or what to expect? You know, they're, they're like, so what are we going to do? And you're like, well, you'll find out. Um, <laughs> Good luck. So what does this on. mean? <laughs> I can't tell you. We'll see. Uh, yeah. Uh, that would cause baptism to maybe have some negative experiences for right. people. So. Back to your question, I've kind of used as a rule of thumb, if church leaders are talking about it, then I feel like I can talk about it Okay. in their public discourse. Right. Uh, if the church has published things that have gone through their correlation or their curriculum divisions, then we can cite from and quote from it. I actually wrote a book a number of years ago called Mormons, an Open Book that was during the Mitt Romney campaign. And one of the chapters in there is it's written to people who are not Latter-day Saints. And one of the chapters is what goes on inside an LDS temple. To write that book, I researched almost everything the church had published publicly. Mm-hmm. My takeaway was the church and the leaders are much more explicit 
and direct and open about the nature of the endowment, the teachings, the covenants than we are as members. Hmm. We generally, it's the members who feel like they can't say anything. So like, let me just give you one example. I spoke one time on the temple and I was talking about the temple, uh, the robes of the priesthood um, and what you wear in the temple during the endowment ceremony. And afterwards, a man came up to me and said, I I just don't think you should have said that. Got that uneasiness about them, right? They're squirmy. And I I said, you realize, brother, that the church has put out a YouTube video filming the temple robes and explaining them, calling them the robes of the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And if anybody wants to watch that video, it's called Sacred Temple Clothing. Yeah, I think I've seen it. So so there are things like that. Or I had another person one time, you know, a student asked me, well, I heard that we make covenants in the temple during the endowment. What covenants do we make? And someone said, we can't tell you. That's nonsense. I could show you over a dozen statements from leaders ranging from current prophets uh, to past prophets. President Benson, uh, President Hinckley, Elder Hales. Uh, President Benson goes as far as to list uh, the temple covenants in the order that you make them. Wow. And he actually gave it at a talk at BYU to the young people. So... Uh, That's kind of my litmus test. And then the second litmus test is, does the temple itself say not to talk about it? And when you think of those things, they're fairly, they're a lot fewer than we may think. I do, I would say in my research, I've noticed the church has also said we should be very careful about using specific wording in the temple. And so I I generally try to shy away from that. But if it's, if it's been said by the brethren, if it's in the scriptures, um, if it's out publicly, I feel like that we can talk about it. Yeah, I was going to say there there are specific parts. Yeah, where they say don't say this. Yeah, right. which kind of means the rest of it doesn't fall under yeah, that category. Exactly. So I've always kind of I've wrestled with it because I've had conversations with people. Yeah, and they've given me the same response that guy did. I don't think we should be talking about yeah. that. And it's yeah. like I think we're okay. Yeah. We're on yeah. solid ground actually. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, that is so. I'm glad we got th- that out there. So at least people know if they're if they're sensitive about this, they can just shut off and and not listen to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would never say anything that the church <laughs> isn't saying publicly. Right. Absolutely, yes, of course. I, I feel like that. That's so valuable though like as as a young person who i mean i'm only 24 so i went to the temple i guess maybe five years ago now so that's still fairly recent and um and my experience like i really feel like i could have benefited from you know having more open dialogue like what you're talking about because in my ward and in the classes that i was attending previously it was very very hush hush so i really i see the benefit in what you're talking about and your book 100 percent very beneficial for people my age no, thank you. Mm-hmm. So part of leaving on a mission, everybody has to go through the temple yeah. and get their endowment. Not endowments, right? It's yeah. endowment. Are you stickler on that, by the way? Um, I know some people that are really stickler on that. Well, I'm a stickler on a different aspect of it, but I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll maybe get into that. No, that's you. fine. <laughs> so, so, but some people, are when they're going for the first time, again, this can be a jarring, it can be rewarding, enlightening, yeah. scary, all in the same trip. So... This book, The Holy Invitation, it was released last year, but exactly who would you say is the audience for the book? The audience are people preparing to go through the temple for the first time. That's the primary audience. That's the primary audience. So people who are receiving their endowment for a mission or maybe for marriage, maybe they're a recent convert um, and they're getting ready to, or they've been recently reactivated and they're going to the temple for the first time. However, I will say this, I don't want anybody to think it's just a small primer the book is short, but the concepts in there are powerful. 
Um, yeah, uh, I think it was like sixty. Yeah, it's like seventy, pages or seventy something like that. pages. Yeah. You, I deliberately wrote it so that you wouldn't be intimidated by it, and you could read it in one reading. But I think somebody who has been a lifelong temple attender, I've even gotten emails from them, so I know this. They they have found a lot of insight in it as well. So this would be temple prep class for missionaries. Yeah, we can say that. Yeah, right? okay, I think so. <laughs> awesome. Your book is broken down into three main parts, I guess we could say. Yeah. What are those three parts, and what is the strength in putting them in that, that order? So the reason I put them into three was because the first part, I, I, I call it the, the what, the why, and the how. What is endowment? Why does it matter? And then how do we get the most out of it? So the first part is a history. I want them to understand through a historical lens what Joseph Smith was doing. A modern history, though, not the Old yes. Testament history. No, 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 no. Sorry, a modern history. And the reason why I say that is because— you know, sometimes we'll say to people when they're like, where should I go in the scriptures to learn about the temple? And our default answer is the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> and it can get really confusing. I think the Old Testament, it's confusing because their temple worship was different than ours from my understanding anyway. I think the concept of bringing people into God's presence, you know, it's manifest in Moses' tabernacle and Solomon's temple with the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. But frankly, we don't know all the rituals and rites they did in their temples. So my answer I'll usually give students is the best place to go is to the Doctrine and Covenants. The doc- in the pages of the Doctrine and Covenants, you see the temple laid out bit by bit, its purposes, its covenants, its ordinances, as the Lord revealed these concepts to Joseph little by little. So it, it's a Doctrine and Covenants uh, historical lens. And, and that's need, part one. That's part one. And so I guess back to what I'm a stickler on, <laughs> okay. Not I, I don't I'm not so much a stickler on the difference between the word endowment and endowments. Okay. I'm a stickler on the difference between endowment and the presentation of the endowment. Okay. Endowment is a power. Presentation of the endowment is a pedagogy. It's or the a, drama or a that method. We see. Yes. So Joseph was trying to endow people with power clear back in June of eighteen thirty one. In Doctrine and Covenants 38, the Lord says, if you will gather to Ohio, I will endow you with power. The Lord tells him that in January of 1831. The church gathers to Ohio, and in June of 1831, Joseph holds a conference and says, I am going to give you your endowment. No temple, no ceremonies that we are familiar with. Joseph is concerned with power, and the power he wants to give people is the power and capacity to come into the presence of God. He has been learning about ancient high priests who have this power as he's been translating the Bible. And he basically says to a group of roughly 60 men, I'm going to make you modern day Melchizedek's, modern day Moses's, and I want to give you the power and capacity to come into God's presence. That's, if anybody's listening, that's endowment, is that you learn and gain that power. Now, the presentation of the endowment is a ceremony. It's a it's a method. It's a pre, it's a it's a ritual, mm-hmm. and that doesn't develop until Nauvoo. So that's what I'm a stickler on. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, and I think that's actually helpful for people to understand even that concept alone. And then part two is a metaphor. Yeah, that kind of illustrates that, right? Yeah. So part two, so part one is Joseph Smith. If I can back up, he tries to take these men in June 1831 to get them to see God. Some do, some fail at it, and then. The Lord basically says these men need to be refined more before they can have this power. 
So the Lord tells him to start this thing called the School of the Prophets, which if I could give a thesis statement for the School of the Prophets, it's Doctrine and Covenants 88, 68, when the Lord says, sanctify yourselves and the days will come when he will unveil his face unto you and it shall be in his own time and his own way. That's their, if you had to, make school the prophet's mission statement in their hallway. <laughs> That's what it was. That's the cross stitch. Uh-huh. The Let us get sanctified so we can have the presence of God. And that's what they're seeking to do. So in that process, the Lord starts to reveal things to them like, you need to live the law of chastity. You need to consecrate and live the law of consecration. You need to be clean. And the Lord says, implement a ritual washing to make yourself clean. So the Lord is introducing all of these patterns to help people be able to come into God's presence. So part two is a metaphor telling a story. And the reason why I wrote it, it's it's a story of a medieval, and I just made it up as a parable. Asher, right? Yeah, Asher. And it's about a, a common stonemason who is invited to meet the king of his country. And what would happen? And that came, I wrote that parable because one day it dawned on me, I was actually reading a historical book about John Adams when John Adams got to go meet the King of England and they had to teach John Adams, like he had to be invited. Number one, they had to tell him to wear proper English clothing that would be acceptable in the King's court. They had to teach him how to approach the King. Like physically. Physically, like you take three steps and you bow. And how far you bow. And how far you bow and the depths of them and what you can say and not say. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that that is a parallel to what's going on in the temple endowment ceremony. Uh, instead of going to castles, we go to temples that look a lot like castles, Yeah, frankly. some of them more so than others. And instead of going to meet a king, we're meeting the king of kings. And instead of wearing clothing that's fit for you know English royalty, we're wearing clothing that symbolizes priestly authority. And instead of being taught about bows and things like that, we're being taught about covenants that bring you closer to God. So that came about in some of my research. And and interestingly enough, instead of being washed, um, like I found multiple references before people meet royalty, they had to be bathed and cleaned up. And instead of being bathed because we're physically dirty, we go through a ceremonial washing to make us spiritually clean. So I wrote that as a parable to help, try to help people grasp the big picture of what endowment is getting at And the culmination is instead of getting to meet a king, you pass into a celestial room, which represents you being in the presence of God. It's an interesting metaphor as I'm going through it because in the intro to the book, you kind of tease that you're not going to tell them what it means. Yeah, like I just did right here. (laughs) (laughs) And now you are. Um, Okay, so part three is kind of a bringing of all that together in an application kind of form. But when you do that, you talk about laying out this divine learning pattern. Yeah. And so one of, I take your specialties as a curriculum and instruction specialist means you you understand learning. Yeah. And so what exactly, if you feel comfortable telling us this, or unless you're giving away the ending of the book, missionaries need to be helping their people learn in yeah. a divine way, yeah. divine information. Yeah. So what is this divine learning pattern and how can missionaries use that? That's a great question. So the pattern that I've settled in on over my years of, uh, and my PhD is in curriculum and instruction, I'm really interested and applied to religious teaching. I really want to know what makes people learn and how to formulate curriculum that best helps them learn. That's what I'm interested in. 
And uh, again, through my own research, my own experience, and then prophetic guidance as well, I use a pattern called no feel and do. Um, No is mental, feel is affective or emotional, do is application or action. You think about the Lord with Martin Harris in Doctrine and Covenants 19.23, learn of me, that's no, listen to my words, which I interpret as Holy Ghost feeling, walk in the meekness of my spirit. Uh, You think of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, ask and ye shall receive, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened. The Lord's not just being repetitive. Those are three separate injunctions. Asking to me is more of a spiritual communion with God. Seeking is more of an intellectual knowledge quest for information. Knocking is putting things into practice and going and doing things. So for missionaries, as they teach, as they learn, I think the no feel do pattern, President Monson had a wonderful saying where he said, the purpose of gospel teaching is to have people think about feel about, and then do something related to gospel principles. I think that's a wonderful divine pattern. And so I use that same pattern in the close of the book with the temple. Every time you and I go and participate in, a, in the holy temple in an endowment ceremony, no matter what our level of understanding is, we can say, what does God want me to learn in here? What does God want me to feel? And what does God want me to do? And, and those are three great places to start uh, to begin to let the endowment ceremonies truly endow you with real power uh, in your life. I, I remember that, bat- that pattern. You talked about that in Doctrine and Covenants yeah. too, the no, feel, and do. It probably kicked off every class that way. Yeah, huh? you did. I <laughs> yeah. remember. We, we did journal entries. We talked about no, feel, and do. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, I, I love, actually, that's a really, really interesting. As you were saying that, I'm like, man, next time I go to the temple, I need to think about that specifically like what can I know what can I feel what can I do and I also I love what you were talking about earlier how um I think I think like the thing that's so unique about the temple is that I feel like God uses things that are familiar to us to to illustrate and teach us concepts that are not familiar to us you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and my mission president said this a lot too he said um, he used the analogy of like a like an airplane when you're trying to feed a child. You like you know you pretend your spoon is like an airplane, right? You're like or or a train, you know, choo choo, come through. So you're trying to teach this child this concept, which is like I need you to eat food through something that's really familiar to them. Like they're yeah. familiar with a train, they're familiar with a with a airplane, and so it's kind of the same thing with us. Is that Heavenly Father's using these concepts that are these they're difficult for us to understand. They're not like something that we grasp so easily, but He illustrates them through things that are familiar to us, you know. And so, um, anyway, I think that that goes right along with what you were talking about. And the temple is supposed to be familiar to us. That's part of the metaphor that you're talking about. Yeah. Right. In there. Yeah. That was one of the principles that it taught yeah. was come back yeah. and, and keep learning because right. it's, not, it's not a one time. No. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, the temple is like being invited to someone's house. Right. And you need to go back uh, repeatedly to get to, to get to know them and... And, and back to your original thing, why does this matter to missionaries? Why did Joseph Smith want all these people to be endowed? He even says, you need to get an endowment before you go out in the world. And number one, he wanted them to have power. He wanted, he wanted people to grasp how is it that you come to God? Because then you can go out and teach other people how to come to God. That's why we have missionaries. And even last year, Elder Bednar and and which I feel was a fabulous talk that he gave a year ago that said, we should have people focus on priesthood, temple, mission. 
sometimes we think, oh, priesthood, go on my mission. But, but it needs to go priesthood temple mission because when you leave the temple, you're leaving as an ambassador, almost like somebody who has seen the king. Yeah. Who then can go out and tell the rest of the commoners and the rest of the people, hey, I've been with the king. I've been in his palace. I know his ways. Let me tell you about him. This is what he taught me. This is what he taught me. This is what he's interested in. And that's totally not true. Uh, you know, <laughs> let me correct you on that. Um, so that's why it's, in my opinion, so important for missionaries to grasp this. Now, this book again is called The Holy Invitation. Mm-hmm. So what's the invitation? Well, you'll just have to find out. Oh, okay. there's the tease. <laughs> All, right. All right. I was wondering Come where the tease was coming in. No, I would, uh, the answer I'd give is the invitation, and I want to be careful on this because sometimes people think, oh, so Joseph was trying to teach people how to part the veil and come into God's presence. So does that mean that in this life I must see God? Section 88 says it will be in his own time and in his own way, according to his own will. However, and there's lots of different ways that God can manifest himself to people. But that's ultimately the invitation. The ultimate invitation is that you have the presence of God with you and you have discovered the patterns and implemented them in your life that bring that presence and power about. This was published by Deseret Book. Mm -hmm. So they can find it at Deseret Book. What are some other places? So it's not overly, so anybody who's like, this sounds like a sketchy (laughs) book. Where where (laughs) else can they find it? Uh, You can get it on Amazon. Yeah, Deseret Book and Amazon. (laughs) Wherever fine LDS books are sold. (laughs) (laughs) And what about your website? Where can they go to find you? Uh, Yeah, they can go to anthonysweat.com and I have a list of just the various different things that I've written or painted or done. Audiobooks yeah. I saw, yeah, all kinds of stuff. You're yeah. mad of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What keeps you jack, more busy? Jack of all trades and master of none. <laughs> what keeps you busier, teaching or art? Oh, teaching by oh, okay. far. That's my main job. Okay. Yeah. I'm such a gifted artist that I'm a full-time religion professor. So. <laughs> His art really is amazing, though. I love it. There's a couple times you would like show us stuff in class, and I was like, yeah, so good. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. No, there's many more. Artists who are much, much more gifted who do that full-time, and I'm grateful that the Lord's r- raised them up. <laughs> well, thank you for coming in and talking about this book. It really is a very important part, so important that the church has made this whole priesthood and temple kind of bridge that they were talking about with Elder Bednar. Yeah, and I like to see it even with—I just noticed in my own uh, ward the announcement that uh, it's no longer the priesthood preview. Right. It's the priesthood and temple, temple. preview. Yeah. Oh, that's um, awesome for kids getting ready to turn 12. Because uh, they can serve in the temple in yes, new ways now. Yes. And so I just love the focus that the church is putting on on the temple. Frankly, wherever the listeners are out there, some have served missions, some haven't. Some served full missions. Some have come home early for either medical or other reasons. Some want to serve in their old age, but maybe they can't. There's various things that affect a mission. But every one of us can uh, be worthy of a temple recommend. Every one of us can participate in temple work. And the temple is where the ordinances of exaltation are found. So I, I just think that's a wonderful focus. Excellent. Thank you again for coming in. And we'll put links to all this at the posting of this in the show notes at LDSMissionCast.com. So thank you again for coming in and, and sharing your book with us. And thank you for writing it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Our hearts can be made pure. If we knew, what could even I received some kind comments from some listeners that felt that I needed to be a little bit more willing to open up and be more personal. 
about my own mission experiences. And so in that spirit, from time to time, I'll share some thoughts that I have about missionary work, about the topic of our interview for the episode. They could be my mission experiences, but my hope in doing that is that this podcast will be more of what I hoped it would, and that is to educate and inspire missionary work and bring people unto Christ. So I went back to see my first temple experiences recorded in my pre-mission journals. It was October 11th, 1997. It was actually the day before I received my mission call to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that I went through the temple. It would appear that two things were very much at play in my life that informed the journal entry for the day. One, my obsession with girls or getting a girlfriend, which was clearly something that was on my mind a lot at that time but so much so that I didn't even really reflect much on my mission call itself. I know, I'm really classy, right? I, I just don't do what I did in that sense. I, I ended up writing something about my mission call, receiving it and saying it was going to be really neat, but then I went off on the girl that I was dating at the time that said that now that I've got my mission call, we should probably break it off because she didn't want to be a distraction for me going on my mission, and then I ranted about being dumped for my mission call. Anyway, the idea being. I didn't write a whole lot about the experience of going to the temple or receiving my call, uh, but one of the reasons I didn't say much about going to the temple was because, and I said this, that I thought that, that we weren't supposed to talk about the temple outside the temple. It was something that was just a completely off limits for me, apparently, that I wasn't even barely supposed to talk about it. So we touched on the idea of sacred silence in our interview with Anthony Sweat. It's obviously a sensitive subject. There are sacred experiences that we should honor in that spirit. But what are those lines that we shouldn't cross? What can and can't we talk about in the temple? And I wanted to talk a little bit more about that and to forward some of my own thoughts on this matter in hopes that it can help promote the spirit of the temple as well as help us understand that maybe the answer to that question is far more ambiguous than we might actually think. In the episode, I agreed with Anthony Sweat that there was a maybe a maximal point where all people engaged in living the covenants of the temple have explicitly agreed to not disclose certain parts of the temple ritual. However, there are those things that are specifically mentioned that are to remain sacred. As I said, it doesn't mean that the rest of it remains in the public domain either. As in all gospel principles, but especially teachings of the temple, they're best understood line upon line, precept upon precept. This means that when we talk about things with respect to the temple, they should be viewed in light of who we are speaking with, not just what is approved according to covenant. It's common and expected that missionaries will talk about the plan of salvation when speaking with those being taught about the restored gospel. However, it's doubtful that the best course of action is to discuss the content of the drama depicted in the temples as part of the endowment. And I don't mean we shouldn't talk about creation. There are certain aspects that come out in the temple that perhaps should remain outside of the audience that a missionary may typically encounter. Then again, it might be. The Spirit will guide you in these matters. But remember, it's not that we hide it. At least no more than God has withheld many truths until we're in a position to best endure that experience that comes with tutoring from the Spirit. In speaking of the temple and, and sacred truths taught therein, much of what is taught is through the Spirit to each individual, because that's what that individual is prepared and ready to learn. Without authorization from the Spirit, 
to share those things, it's best to, well, let's just say it's best to treat those things as valuable to the person receiving it and not necessarily relevant to the rest of the world. Temple theologians talk about the temple as being in sacred space and and sacred time. They also speak of the nature of the temple ritual and learning as being something that should not be made profane. And that's a very specific word. It means something related or devoted to that which is not sacred or biblical. It's secular rather than religious. In fact, the origin of that word profane, from which we get the words like profanity, actually originally meant outside the temple or not sacred. So to make something profane or to be profane about something was what we might call sacrilegious today. It's, it's taking something and, and making it common instead of something that was sacred. So in order to keep the temple from becoming secular, something all too common or profane, it's best to remember that while most of what is taught in the temple is not quote-unquote off-limits to discuss conceptually or principally, or even out of bounds according to covenant in the temple itself, we should be careful to not make public what is taught and what is learned as it remains in the domain of the individually spiritual. Sometimes what we learn in the temple is best understood in the temple context, and outside of that, it loses its meaning, especially to someone other than yourself. So when you go to the temple for the first time, or when you go to the temple in subsequent visits, don't be afraid to record those sacred experiences in your personal journal, but maybe seek divine approval for what's appropriate to share and with what audience when it comes to speaking of such sacred things. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of LDS Mission Cast. We hope you're enjoying the show and getting some valuable content that's inspiring to you to be a better missionary, to be a disciple of Christ. You can listen to past episodes at ldsmissioncast.com. Thank you again for listening. I want to thank again Sarah Lynn Barrel, Kelsey Edwards, and Anthony Sweat for their contributions in this episode. We're going to let the music play out with Sarah Lynn Barrel. Thanks again for listening to the LDS Mission Cast. If his love remains, don't give up. He has always been closer than you know. You can trust his love and power as you let go.
Let him heal the wounds he's closer than